This is episode 16 of Functional First Podcast, where we speak with leading experts in the field of functional health. I'm Katie Yamamoto from Functional Media, and in today's episode, Sanjeev Bhatia, co-founder of Clinic Space, is stepping in as guest host to interview physiotherapist and clinic owner, Charlotte Anderson, on her experience starting and managing a successful business. Today's episode is part three of a special business series for health professionals and business owners in partnership with the Canadian Physiotherapy Association's Private Practice Division. All right, welcome to uh, this edition of CPA Private Practice. Uh, I'm here today with uh, Charlotte Anderson, physiotherapist, owner, and what's another couple words you would describe yourself outside of of those Um, two? Researcher, PhD candidate. Oh, awesome. Runner. Runner, okay. That's great. That's great. That's four. That's four words. There you go. That's three more than most people. (laughs) So your PhD, actually, like, could you tell us a little bit about that before we start? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I started my PhD at U of T two years ago um, with a focus in concussion management and the role of physios in concussion management. Oh, wow. uh, And a little bit of the health service delivery. Okay. So my research is, my lab is out of Holland Blue Review Kids Rehab Hospital. Um, And, yeah, we're just trying to figure out the role of of a physio in the treatment of uh, pediatric concussion. Oh, pediatric concussion. Yeah. That's interesting. Yes. I was just telling a colleague, if I had to go back, uh, my physiotherapist days are way over. Yeah. So uh, that's 15 years ago I haven't practiced. But if I had to go back, I'd be focusing on pediatric physio and animal physio. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully animal combining physio. the two. I know. Animal physio is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of preventative medicine that could go on in rehab yes. that in the pediatric world that I think physios can, can really tap into. Yeah. Do you find um, just concussions have been so popular over the last two to five years? Yeah. I've seen protocols at large networks, protocols at a small network clinic or a single clinic owner creating their own protocols. So is there a regulating body that will say this protocol works or this protocol? Are you, is your PhD kind of like trailblazing in that respect? I would like to think of myself as a trailblazer. There is more and more research coming out by physios and rehab professionals in the concussion realm. Right. To date, there hasn't been a lot. And we can all hypothesize as to treatments that will be beneficial to patients that have a concussion. Right. But the research is not out there yet. Okay. It is coming, but it's inconclusive and there isn't one protocol. So we're at Blue Review, we know that bed rest is not the answer, mm-hmm. but we're trying to figure out what is the answer and what is the balance. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out where does physio stand in that continuum because I think there's a huge role for physios in this population. Right. And I think it's going to take a burden off the healthcare system. Yeah, I agree with you. There's a lot of ways physio can play yes. a role in dictating policy, yeah. setting protocols. I mean, overall, do you find that the everyday person understands what physiotherapy is? Good question. The everyday person, I would say no. And I think our profession needs to do a better job of educating the public on what we do. Right. And we are a rehab profession, but I think we need to put on a preventative hat as well and educate the public that we we can do preventative medicine too and educate the system, the healthcare system, right. that there's a role for physio in prevention, which is going to just benefit healthcare service delivery in general in Ontario, which is where we are, yeah. but in Canada as well, because there is lack of resources. We do have budget cuts. We have an aging population. Mm-hmm. Let's shift the mindset to prevention and let's shift our rehab mindset as physios. We can do preventive medicine as well. That comes from education and we have yeah. to educate other professionals as well as the community as to what we do, what we can do and how we can help. Yeah, I've actually found the same thing when I've asked my family members or friends what does a chiropractor do? Yeah. They have a very quick answer. And it's about adjustments and cracking, as they put it, which may not be appropriate, but that's yeah. what they say. Acupuncture, the same thing. They know it's needles. Massage, they say, oh, you relax my muscles with your hands. Yeah. When I ask them physio, I do get a series of answers. So I'm great. There's someone like you out there doing research, treating, ownership, running, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and advocating. We should have we added advocating. Yeah, okay, so now we advocating, can yeah. yeah. Advocating is huge for, for everyone in the profession and for people that, patients that have gone through physio, we need more advocacy, especially because the scopes of practice of the different professions 
are starting to overlap a little bit. And Definitely. physio has really got to find its stand, own its stand, and continue to do the positive work we do because we are acknowledged by insurance companies and by the healthcare system. That's right. But we need to continue that. I think you hit the nail on the head. There is some service confusion going on in the general public mm -hmm. of what the physio does, what a chiro, acupuncture, massage. And there are some services that overlap. Absolutely. Right? So that we need to have a, a clear message to the public, yeah. to our colleagues, to yes. the students. Yes. The other thing I'm seeing out there, and I'm not sure if you're seeing it, is patients are really becoming consumers now. Yeah. So they have a lot more choice. They're used to choice in other aspects of life, whether you're buying a house or you're choosing a personal trainer. Now they have choice on getting treated at home a lot more through online programming or tele-rehab. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing that you need to do something more than you traditionally have been doing because they have more choice? Yes, and that's a, something that I've been thinking about and talking about, especially with this the changing technology and, and yeah. the world we live in. As a physio and as a trained physio, I think a lot of the times we're reluctant to put that business hat on and, and look at different ways of giving a service. Yeah. And I think that is an obstacle that us as physios and that students have to be trained that it's okay to think creatively. It's okay to go outside of that traditional norm to, again, it's an advocacy thing as well. It's a service delivery thing, yeah. but it is a business dynamic as well. And I mean, we, we run a clinic here. We Maybe we're more the traditional role of physio. Mm -hmm. But I think technology is something we have got to embrace. Technology is the way that our healthcare system's going. Yeah. And if we do not embrace it as physios, we aren't going to sustain ourselves as a profession. So my involvement with the technology aspect is low. Mm -hmm. I mean, we do everything of ours is online, all online charting, all online exercises for our physios, everything over email, that sort of thing. Yeah. But we haven't yet gone to you know, the telehealth route or physio via technology, yeah. which has its pros and cons as well. Yeah. And I'm happy to discuss that. But no, I think it's something we have to think about. I think we have to be creative and I think we have to be willing to adapt to it as it comes that's right and i know me personally this was a while ago but i didn't really i didn't take any business or technology courses while i was doing my clinical schooling yeah right and i think the momentum started to change there you're seeing a little bit more at the educational level and that's going to be long-term change in terms yes. of technology and business yes because the industry itself is inherently entrepreneurial you yes. have people graduating from their physiotherapy degrees maybe working for a couple of years somewhere else which is really important to get that mentorship yep. and then opening their own practice. Yeah. So you've made that leap. Right? I have. You have yes. made that leap. <laughs> and so that's why I'm very interested to talk to you. So you treated for how long before you opened up this clinic? I worked for one year. One year. Before I opened up this clinic. Okay, great. And I still had a lot to learn as a practicing clinician at that point in time. Yeah. But I felt I was ready for the challenge of learning more as a clinician, but taking on the business side. And I learned through my one year of working at another clinic that I had a way that I wanted to work. I right. had a value system that I wanted to stay true to. And the way I was going to do that was by working for myself. So I worked yeah, I for a year that. and then I opened my own practice. Oh, I love that. And you've been open here how many years? Alpha Health Services has been running for four years. Four, four years. years. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And how big is your team here in terms of uh, clinical? Clinical, we have five physiotherapists, two massage therapists, a naturopathic doctor, okay. and a kinesiologist. Multidisciplinary services. Multidisciplinary, okay, yes. Okay, great. And yes. uh, on the admin side, yep. how many people do you have? We have two on the admin side that do our books and front desk, scheduling, payroll. Oh, great. Part-time, yeah. And so the clinical aspect, I can tell you're very strong. Like You're, you're leading a team. You have a, a, a vision of how you treat your methodology and setting the culture. In terms of like structuring the business, where did you get your say experience or your knowledge? Are you working with a mentor? How did you even start? Say, let's go back to Charlotte wants to open a business. Yeah. What was yeah. your first kind of thoughts? Yeah, and that's a very good question. I remember I wrote an article for the CPA about this and it, it allowed me to reflect on, on the process of how I got here. And there's still, a, there's still a long way to go and I, I've made lots of mistakes and I've learned from them and I'm gonna make more. But yeah. I did grow up in a family of business-minded people. Um, going through school as a physiotherapist, you're very, very focused on the, the clinical practice side of things. Yeah. And I did find we got a bit of business, but not a lot of, a lot of business. So mm -hmm. I did not feel prepared coming out of school to open a business on my own. Of course. So I did have to look elsewhere for that support. So over the year that I worked mm -hmm. as a new grad, 
I did reach out to mentors and even other professions, naturopathic doctors, chiropractors that had opened their own business just to get as much information as I could yeah. to form kind of what I thought I wanted to do and how I was going to do it. How you're going to run your practice. Exactly. Okay. And then I spoke to a business mentor of mine and we ran the numbers because you have to run the numbers. And I think a big mistake of people opening a new business is they they do way too much too soon and you've got to go down to the basics of how many people do i need to see a week to break even on my costs exactly. so i did all that and then i developed a very strong mission statement and objective and at the time i didn't realize how important and how many times i would come back to that but yeah. i was advised to, to do that to get my head around what is it that i charlotte anderson want to do and want to grow and develop yeah so i developed this a mission statement that is clear on our website. We have it posted in the clinic. And that's something that I come back to a lot. And that is kind of the groundwork for building this clinic. Once you get the momentum to start going, you just kind of have to go with it to some extent. If you think too much or overthink it, there's a fine line between taking a risk but taking a calculated risk that you've thought about. I took a risk. I went out on my own. I didn't take a partner. I saved up to start the clinic. So I, I didn't take a loan out from the bank. I saved, started small, built from there Great. and really learned, leaned on a support team of uh, mentors from school, professors, other business owners and people in my family that had had a background and you kind of go with it. Well, I love that. And I can see the research are you coming out because <laughs> you want to move into the business space. You did your research. You found great framework to support you in mentorship. Yeah. And then something you said was really important and then I speak to clinic owners about is that financial piece, mm -hmm. right? Having the bookkeeper in place, mm -hmm. the accountant in place, mm -hmm. the legal, the finance, mm -hmm. and you're always searching for, hey, what's my break even? Yeah. Um, how many people do I need to see per week? If I bring on a therapist, how many people they need to yep. see? I'm sure you did a ratio by square footage. Yep, yep. And that will guide a lot of your decisions yes. based on like where you want to take the business. Yeah. It doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means you might have a phased approach to implementation based Absolutely. on your financial structure exactly. that grows. Exactly. And okay. that's, I think as physios, the people that are attracted to physio as a profession and, and to physio school, we're not the math people all the time, right? Yeah. So that was hard for me to understand and to really focus on the numbers because all I wanted to do was treat people and make them better. Right. But you got to put a business hat on. And I mean, we all got to make a living and, and a bottom line. But it was that financial side. And I think you spoke to this. Having an accountant from day one, I am very happy that I went yep, that route because I, <laughs> I thought I was like, oh, I can do this. It's, I'm just me. I'm just I can do it. But yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of things to think about. Do you incorporate that has a tax implication? The real estate side of it, you know, are you buying? Are you renting? Do, are there tenant agreements? You know, what can you write off as a business? What you can't? What can you get as a loan? What can't you get as a loan? There's a lot of things around owning a business that an accountant and a lawyer yeah. are two very integral parts of that business development team. And I'm I'm happy I got good people to fill those roles. Yeah, and I can tell you must sleep good at night because if you put <laughs> the right people in place and you have an accountant that's done great work and you trust, same yes. with the legal and finance, those are things that are taken off your plate yeah. once you you know put them in place yeah. and track them regularly. So you can then focus more of your attention yeah. on building your team, Yep. monitoring your team, your patient experience and being and leadership. Yeah. Right. So, yes, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So I think, you know, if I had to guess in your trajectory of a business in year two to four, you really start to like unplug from the financial piece. You have good mm -hmm. people supporting you with that aspect mm -hmm. and you're focused more on growing the business mm -hmm. both outside and inside. Yes. Right? And I always I mean, as a business owner, you've always got to keep, you know, your finger on the pulse of everything that's going on in, in the business. Mm -hmm. So regular meetings and I do check the books. I, every month I go through everything. Just I need to have an idea of what's going on as well. But I'm not an accountant and I, that's not my specialty. Yeah. And I need to tap into someone whose specialty that is. And that's just going to lead to the overall growth um, yeah. and the opportunity and the potential and the expansion and the joy of having this sort of business. Okay, so, great. Yeah. And if you just had to like kind of throw a dart at a dartboard, what's your plan for your business? Are you looking at one location that you could expand that's run really well, focusing really much on the patient and getting them their outcomes? Are you the type of person to say, hey, if I do it right here and I can kind of grow my reach in the community with multiple locations, or you know what, I'm going to become a big corporation. That's mm -hmm. where I'm going. And I have an ambition to that. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I have an ambition to do that. So which of those three 
if you just had to guess right now? And that's changed over the last four years. Big yeah. time has changed over the last four years, and I hypothesize it's going to continue to change. Right now, I'm very proud of the team that we have here, and we've kind of we've maxed out, and, and this right now is going really well. So currently in the process of um, expanding to a second clinic in a different area of the city oh, wow. um, awesome. and bringing in partners to do that because to, to start a second one of what I've started, I will need a partner to do that, especially yeah. I am still practicing clinically and I am finishing my PhD and I am teaching at the university, but that's kind of what's in the mix right now. We'll see where it goes. Yeah. My focus has been here and making this a self-sustaining, positive environment for the practitioners, for the patients, okay. and I feel very... I'm very proud and I'm very grateful for the team that I do have here because we that's what we're doing. So I'd like to expand, but not at the risk of losing what we do have in this environment. Yeah, it still needs attention here yes. and things like that. But yeah. I love that you, you're expanding. So when you look for someone as a partner, say in a second location, I kind of like what Gordon Ramsay does. He'll have a sous chef yeah. and that person, he or she will work with them for a couple of years. They know they're on a path of mentorship to be a business owner. Mm -hmm. And then Gordon Ramsay will open a restaurant around that person and they'll split it 50-50, yes. right? Are you seeing that? Is that something you look for in your team mm -hmm. when you lead them like, hey, who has the ambition to not just treat clinically, but they want to do some of the business stuff? Yes, absolutely. And that's a newer mindset I've taken on more recently as mm -hmm. I've started to think about the future. Early days, the people I hired were not people that had the ambition to open a clinic or, or go the business side. They just wanted to practice and they wanted to practice really well. Yeah. And that's what I wanted at that point in time. Right. Now that I've been out of school for five years and I've had the opportunity to work with students and to be a CI, I am more interested in the students and new grads that have an ambition to move into the business side that mm. could could potentially be partners, we'll call it the Gordon Ramsay model, yeah. if you will, <laughs> sure. um, going forward. Yeah. I also find I was young to go out on my own and start a business. So some of my peers from when I was in school are mm. now at the point where they're thinking, hey, you know what, maybe this is the time that I want to branch out. Yeah. And there has been conversations with them as well to see where people's heads are at as a potential business partnership. Yeah, I like that. So you're looking at your own team yeah. and who has the ambition yeah. to learn some of the business stuff or yeah. be a business owner themselves yep. with you as a partner or you have colleagues from mm -hmm. class who have worked mm -hmm. for years now clinically and they've come to a point where they have aspirations to mm -hmm. own their own business mm -hmm. and they're looking at you probably in multiple ways yeah. for mentorship themselves or to maybe do something more refined exactly right, informal and you know what i think just having the conversation a partnership you need to complement each other and you don't make that decision lightly and sometimes your best friend wouldn't always make the best business partner, right? right? So you've really, again, it goes back to that operating mission statement mm -hmm. that you surround yourself with and that you that grounds you. And if that's what's important to you, you've got to find the people that buy into that and then you can flourish from there. And I feel very strongly about that part Definitely. of it. Yeah. So I want to get to know a little bit more about the business side yeah. of things. And typically I use this kind of framework to structure that conversation. I'll actually ask you like what type of clinic have you gone through these types and there's four types okay the first type is the roles in the clinic have been established and documented so i, I meet a lot of clinic owners where they have job descriptions uh -huh. and that's something external to your business you might paste post on indeed or or monster but once you're in the clinic you have roles so for example who's responsible for patient experience at the front desk who's responsible for mentoring or teaching even the therapist how to get patient commitment assessment by building rapport. So like those kind of roles, have you set those roles with your team? Yeah, that's a good question because it's something that once I built a bigger team, it was something that I had to be more aware of. Yeah. When I first started out and it was me and then one other physio, there was less of that dynamic. Yeah. Now that there's more of us, Yes, we have started to set that role and we have started to document that role and we have monthly meetings about those different roles. Oh, that's great. As well as to make sure the person that's put in that role feels comfortable, capable, and has a bit of a passion to do that role. That's I'm not going to just put someone in a role because I need to fill it if that's not what they want to do because it's yeah. not going to be effective. And um, I like that. But 
I find the checkpoints, and again, some of these roles have to be fluid and flexible and evolving. They're yeah. not, you know, you do A, B, and C, and that's it. So there is that communication, that openness, that rapport that you have with the people that are working with you and yeah. for you, and to empower them to really take on that role and own that role, which is what I've learned too. It's kind of what we were saying with the accountant and the lawyer. I can't do all of this as it continues to build. And that was a hard thing when you start out on your on your own is to let that go and give other responsibilities to other people yep. and trust in them in, in doing that. But we've, going back to the, the established roles and documented, we have done that, but it's been an iterative process and a process that I've worked with my team to establish. You said some like very key things there. So when you when you start a business, you're pretty much in like blitzkrieg mode. Yeah. So like either business, you need people walking through the door. You don't yeah. necessarily have time to put in all the structure you need right now. Yeah. It's about reaching out to the community, getting people walk through the door, treating them in the methodology that you set according to your mission statement. But there gets a time, and I think you mentioned it, where you kind of have the time to step back now and say, okay, as we grow, who is going to be in the right position? Yes. Right? You would never, on a basketball team, you don't want your point guard shooting the ball. Yeah. <laughs> they should be passing. Yeah. So it's great that you started to look and you have looked. Yeah. And, and a couple other key things you said is like, what roles do I need? And who fits those roles? And I found that you would hire or put someone into a role that fits their personality and what yeah. they want to do. Not the opposite way that I've seen in large corporations where like no. you have the skills. Yeah. Skills can be taught. Absolutely. Right? And Absolutely. what it sounds like from you, even with your, your reference to your lawyer, your accountant, your, and your finance person is you're putting people in roles because they want to be there. They have a curiosity about that area of the business and now you're creating leaders. Yes. You're empowering them to like make their own decisions. So not everything gets escalated to you. Yeah. Right? And that's very, very key in terms of like recruiting, yes. putting people in the right role, and yes. then turning them into leaders. Yes. Right? And it took me it took me about three years to get to that point and, yeah. and to learn that and talking to mentors and, and leaders in the field. It's not easy. It's, it's not, not an easy. easy thing to do and I'm yeah. still learning. But if you're going to build a successful team, which is what builds a successful business, I think you've got to be aware of that and you've got to have a high EQ to be able to sense with what those people want to make their work life satisfying or fulfilling or else you're going to roll through people Yeah. and that doesn't create a cohesive team or a unit. And I love what you said about meeting them, meeting with them. So yeah, so key. I, I use the analogy is I'll ask an owner like, how often do you meet with your therapist? And they might say once a month. Okay, and I, I, I say, well, if I met with my son once a month for his homework, yeah. he wouldn't be passing many yeah, classes. Yeah, yeah. Or I'm sending the wrong message to yeah. him that this not, these meetings are not important. Yeah. So I love that you are meeting regularly with your leaders in the roles yeah. and not to judge them, no. but to help support them, yeah. empower them. They have someone to talk to. Yeah, and, and we're that, a team. And that will, be a, that will turn them into leaders. Yes, right. that's my hope. You'll hear me say this a couple of times, but... I think in a business and what I've experienced is structure dictates function. Okay, yeah, I always take it back to like grade nine biology. Where I'll say the way a protein, <laughs> That's what I was thinking, yeah, yeah way a protein <laughs> folds is determines what it will do. Right. So the business is no different. So you have that org organizational structure. You have that role structure. Um, now, what I see in a type two clinic are people following a daily, weekly, and monthly checklist. Right, and. Are you using checklists in any form or task lists um, as a way of communicating with those roles or is it something you plan on putting in because you said it's an iterative process? Mm -hmm. Checklist is an interesting word. I would never have considered it a checklist, but now that we're using that terminology, everything we do is online. Okay, mm -hmm. so the charting, the scheduling, patient accounting, patient billing, patient profiles, it's all on an online system. Awesome. Okay. Yep. It's also a way I'm very careful not to not to lose that human contacted interaction with my therapist, but it's also a way our therapist team can communicate with each other if people are in and out of the clinic at different times. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So going back to our technology standpoint, over that system, you know, you can, a silly example, but PT1, you know, all the ultrasound gels have to be filled weekly kind of thing. Yeah. That's your role. It's a silly example. But I want to call the more daily tasks we do do online Great. so that people can check and can communicate back and forth because there's times where I'm in the clinic early and then I'm going down to UT and they're in late and it's a way of, of communicating, of getting tasks done and staying connected even if we're not together. Yes. 
However, I am very careful not to lose that communication and human interaction aspect that I think technology is taking away from a little bit and I think is a key, key, key component of having a successful team in a business. So yes, we use checklists. Uh, yes, we use them online. I would say we use them more for the daily, weekly task kind of organization of a clinic or you know if a physio wants to meet with me to discuss a difficult patient we'll schedule it into each other's calendars you know everyone has access to that but I don't lose that communication that sit down conversation hey let's go for a 20-minute coffee just to regroup but I think the checklist for the daily and weekly tasks of actually having a clinic run is very very important Again, it's a learning experience. It changes. We've just hired a new physio. It's going to change again because her role is going to change the dynamic of the team. Yeah. So it's, it is a process. And quite frankly, um, the two people we have working more the admin and the front desk do take a larger role in that checklist dynamic. Wow. You said so many great things right there. So like, I love that you said that you back up technology with still running your team and communicating with them, right? Because you can't just, like you said, put in a technology and say, go use it. Yeah. And it sounds like the technology you put in with the digital checklist make you very agile, right? So you can contact your team on the fly. Yeah. It's almost like companies that use Slack, yeah. just in, instant messaging really quickly, yeah. but you're backing it up with checklists, yeah. digital checklists, and then you're further backing up that with a foundation of actually empowering your team, meeting yeah. with them, yeah. with people. Yeah. And that's what I look like in a type two clinic. And I look for that because as the business changes, the objectives change, yeah. and ultimately people's tasks are going to change. Yeah. So if you have a digital checklist, even if you're in Tuscany, you can quickly look up on your phone and add or remove tasks, make sure people are doing their tasks. And yes, people don't need to coordinate face-to-face all the time. It's still needed. But on the little things, people can see who's doing yeah. what, coordinate with each other. And I think even deeper than that, from a risk point of view from the business, if you have everything detailed in digital checklist with instructions on how to do each task, if you bring someone yeah. on new, you can onboard them very quickly in your methodology. Yeah. So type You're one right. and type two, I think you are a lot of ways ahead of most owners I, I speak to, to be honest with you. Because you, you're doing the organ structure, putting in that structure, having technology to make it run, and then still working face-to-face with your culture of your team and ultimately, it's almost like Gary Vee says, culture means speed, <laughs> right? So you can implement change yeah. quickly. Yeah. All right. So we're getting into a little bit more rare types of clinics. And, and now we're going to move into, does each role in a type three clinic have key performance metrics? And the way I'll kind of define that is I look at assessments and revenue as outcome metrics. They're the result of you doing something well or not doing it at all. Key performance metrics for me completely surround the patient experience. Uh So at the front desk, let's take the phone. Is your front desk answering 90% of the phone calls? Do they have the skills to book, say, eight out of every 10 new patient callers? Uh Okay. Uh So that's the way I measure Uh patient experience at the front desk. So just two or three things. Could you talk about either clinically or from your operations or admin team, a couple metrics you use to gauge how well the business is, is doing. Yes, and I'm glad you brought this up because this is something I've, you know, reading the, the literature and being in charge of the literature that we put out in the private practice division, I've had the opportunity to speak to this, to write about this. And you know what? It's easier said than done. Definitely. It has taken me time and I'm still working on implementing it here. Yeah. That outcome measure component you're talking about, about, you know, how many patients do you see? How many new assessments? The client retention. We do that. We do that part monthly for every therapist. And I think that is helpful for the therapist. Just It's just a numbers thing, right? Just to yeah. get their head around what's going on. The key performance metrics has been something that's I'm still learning about and still reading about and still learning how to implement it. However, yeah. a few of the things that we have started is, I guess, biannually, we send out a quick survey to every patient that's come through the clinic checkbox kind of five minutes tops about their experience experience, because you're right bottom line here you got to get people better and you got to give them the good experience yeah that is something that i as a physiotherapist care very much about but as a business owner that's how you're going to get people to come back and quite frankly word of mouth referrals are what means the most to us to be perfectly honest with you so we do do that survey 
every six months to the patients that have come through just to get a gauge on kind of where we're at in terms of how people are thinking. Great. Recently, we've put in, I guess I'll call it a little bit more focus on the phone call and a lot of our patients book online. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So... It's, it's interesting that people still want to phone and talk, but there's a lot of online booking. So yeah. we are trying to track right now how are new patients finding us, the ease of booking, the ease of phoning, the ease of email. What of those four things are where we should maybe put a little bit more of our time? Yeah. Okay. So we're tracking that in various ways. I do not have an answer yet for that. Yeah. Once I have an answer, I'm going to try to implement a little bit more of these key performance metrics to say, you know what, 90% of our people our booking online is our online booking system as easy as it can be. Yeah. Or this many people are phoning, but you know what? We're we're missing the calls from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. because no one's sitting at the front desk. How do we remedy that? Yeah. So again, it's a process, and I feel before you can get into measuring that key performance metric, you need to figure out what it is you want to measure. Yeah. And again, in these days of technology, it's not just the phone anymore. It's the speed at which you return to email because if I get back faster than the other clinic, you know people are just blitzing clinics sometimes response to get in. Time, yeah. The response time is key. The phone is still key. And the ease of online, the ease of finding you online, and the ease of, you know, everyone wants it on their smartphone. Oh, click. Okay, I got an appointment with Charlotte at five. We're good. Yeah. So we're trying to figure out that balance right now. And I've experienced that. I, I like that you're doing that in iteration. So yeah. it's not something you can do across no. your business all at once. No. And let's focus on, let's say, your front desk whether it's online or phone. So in the case of online, what I like that you said is, are people completing the online component yeah. or on that page they're getting frustrated and dropping off exactly. after step three? Exactly. Then you go back to your digital marketing company and exactly. say, hey, I noticed that out of 10 people trying to use the online, three are dropping off yeah. on step three because they're getting frustrated, Yeah. right? And that's a great indicator of a poor experience yeah. online, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And I know you're gonna, just talking to you and meeting you today, I know you're gonna be adding more more of those like patient experience metrics for how someone contacts your business yeah. through the phone yeah. or online yeah. or even like a walk-in. Now, on the clinical side, like working with the therapist team, so you do that patient satisfaction survey, mm-hmm. it gives you a gauge mm-hmm. of what people are thinking. If I could predict your future, I would say, just getting to know you again, you're moving towards real time, actually patient experience metrics. For example, on the clinical side, if you had a patient come in and they had frozen shoulder, Mm -hmm. okay, and from the last time you saw them, their shoulder abduction decreased by 22%, okay? You would know right away what to do. Mm -hmm. You'd have three or four things in your kit, right? So you'll have the same experience metric with your therapist, say at assessment, where you'll know if that patient had a good experience or not. And if they didn't, you can speak to your therapist that day. Uh, what's going to become a really popular industry is this ratio called book to prescribe. So a therapist will prescribe. So I'll say, Charlotte, based on your shoulder, I think you need about 10 sessions. It could be a little bit less depending on your dedication commitment, but yeah. based on what I've seen previously, that's what it'll take. Now, what I'd like you to do is book eight of those before you leave today. It'll secure your date and time. Uh, do you have any questions about that? So we go back and forth and talk about any reservations you have. Booking in advance is not for everybody. You mm-hmm. might be a nurse or a shift worker. Mm-hmm. So uh, online might be very valuable to you. But if someone books one out of the 10 that I recommended, just one, that's an indication to me that maybe that patient didn't have a great experience. And it's usually something to do with rapport. Yeah. Yes. Right? And that allows you, that's like that 20 degree decline on the shoulder abduction that allows you to maybe call that patient the next day or next time they come in, talk to them about their previous experience. So you can be proactive Mm -hmm. about experience that dips, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So trying to get to real time, I think you're going there. You've already got the right mindset. You've already put a lot of great things into your business looking that way. And you're right. For those listening to this podcast, break it down in pieces. Don't do everything at once, Yes. right? Yeah. Okay. So that would be a type three. A type four clinic, this is like really rare, <laughs> okay? <laughs> this is what I'd say like are unicorns, but interesting enough, <laughs> you're already doing this. So a type four clinic is where someone can interpret a metric and then take action without it coming to you. Mm-hmm. So you said you're meeting with your team regular, it might be even be once a month right now. And are you going through scenarios with them on like, what would you do in this situation? Or what are the top two things you would do if this happened? Yes. Is that how you're leading your team? Or like share how, how you're doing it? 
a little bit of everything. So again, it's a conversation when I meet with them individually as well as a group. Yes, I own this business. Yes, I run this business. Mm. But I don't see myself as higher or better than anyone that works here. We are a team working for a common goal. Yes, I pay the rent and, and other things around here, but we are a team. And as a leader, and I think a good leader, surrounds themselves with people that are better than them in, in different aspects. Oh, and I feel yeah. very strongly about that. And I feel incredibly grateful for the team that I have here right now. I learned so much from them and they make my job easy to some extent. Yeah. In terms of talking about the metrics um, for the proactive decision-making, the conversation we just had is a conversation I have with my team here. Mm -hmm. And I've had a lot of ideas from them as well that I haven't thought about in terms of how do we take the different metrics, how do we use them, and how do we use them as the individual therapist to grow themselves, their caseload, their practice, as well as a team. And you're you're involving them in the decision-making. Exactly. Because every therapist is their own little business to some extent, right? And I'm not in the room with them when they're you know, and, and it is a rapport thing and not everyone connects, right? That is yeah. what it is. But creating a team dynamic where we can have these conversations, I'm open to having them. They feel comfortable having them. We bounce ideas off each other yeah. about how we're going to use these numbers or responses or whatever it is we're using in terms of the metric dynamic yeah. to build as individuals, build as a team, build as a business. Again, iterative process. Some people buy into it. Some people are more comfortable than others. Yeah. I find the new grads are hesitant to put themselves there because they're so focused on patient outcome, Um, which I don't think is a negative thing Mm -hmm. by any means. But my job too for the new grads that I hire is to open their eyes that, yeah, you got to get that frozen shoulder better. Uh Uh-huh, you do. But you've also got to create a really positive dynamic and a positive environment so that person keeps coming back. Yeah, they got to like you. Yeah. They've got to trust you. Yeah. See you as the expert and use that rapport. Yeah to help them commit to their course of care. And I don't think we'll disagree. A more committed patient is going to get better outcomes. Yes, yes. And better outcomes is something you said earlier. That's your referrals. So that patient is more likely to leave you a Google review. They're more likely when they go back to their doctor to share their experience, a positive experience. And that's very important because doctors, what's number one important to them is their reputation. Tell a family or friend. So yes, you might have structure behind those referrals pathways. But they kind of run themselves yeah. if you have a strong clinical therapist, if you mentored and taught how to build rapport or wherever they can make gains. Yeah. And again, that leads to more commitment, better outcomes. Yes, right? exactly. And okay, that's very interesting. And like you're definitely going that way. And I, I can't wait to see where you take it in the next <laughs> four years because that's a really important quality. Something you said even earlier that like you've learned from a lot of mistakes. I can attest to that. I've had a lot of losses in my career. One of them was I would hire people and tell them what to do. Yeah. But I should be hiring people and they should be telling me what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? I, yes. Now, I'm later in my career, I've switched that. But you also need that kind of owner business mentality where you're working with them to make them leaders yes. and to have them feel empowered to make yes. their own decisions, yes. whether it's with the patient, with their own business, or for the greater business as a whole with your team yes. here. Yes. That's really important. And it's it's a fine line. It's a tough line. It can be hard when you are chronologically younger than a lot of the people you hire. And it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. And I'm still learning. And you know what? I think, I think that's the hardest part of building a business yeah. is to be the owner, be the leader, but be approachable and create a team and the team dynamics that stay true to who you are. Um, yeah. And that is something that I think you can have the value system and you have that innately but you've just got to develop it as well and you got to just figure it out but that is the hardest for me of building the business and i want to dive into that a little bit more and you you're dovetailing into some great points (laughs) so culture for me i was in a situation where there wasn't a framework in my career like culturally so even when i started as a physio i think what got me more focused on business technology because i only practiced less than a year was I didn't have great mentorship at the time. And I wasn't in a clinic that had a great culture. I was just jumping from room to room and seeing as many people as I can, right? And that maybe even had me fall out of love out of the career, right? And push me into business and tech. But I've come to really understand that a great culture means that you'll find the right people that fit your business, 
And it's yeah. very hard in our industry because the demand for physio and the supply of physio is so skewed. Yeah. It's hard to find a physio. The second is when you make change in a business, like you want to talk about rehab products or you want to talk about getting more Google reviews or something on the business side, you need culture to get people to buy in and implement that change quickly. So culture means speed. Are you seeing that in terms of your culture, like what actual tactics are you doing to promote the culture? I know you're doing the one-on-one, uh-huh. you're doing the mission statement, uh-huh. right? Is there anything on your list of things that you're looking to do in the future to just keep boosting the culture here? Is there a recruiting tactic? Yes. Things like that? I find physiotherapists as a group of people, gross generalization, aren't as business inclined as let's say the chiropractic world. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what I mean by that is a lot of the time, I think people view physios that own a business, run a business and back off of clinical practice as a bit of, oh, you've succumbed to the the dark side of business a little bit. And I don't think it needs to be like that. I think as a business owner, you've got to have your feet on the ground in the clinic and you got to see what's going on. And that's where the culture develops. Mm. I don't think you can run a business from afar without ever being in the situation. Okay. And I think a lot of, and especially new grads or people that have been practicing for a very long time, they could be, again, scared might be a harsh word, but a bit reluctant to even let themselves go to the business side of things, Mm -hmm. even as a practicing clinician. And I think it's almost that baby steps of, you know what, you got to have a business mind to develop a caseload, but that doesn't mean you're not true to the profession or that, you know, you're just cranking through patients to meet a bottom line. You can still do a good job. And quite frankly, you're going to have a better business if you do do a good job with the patients and patient care. Because at the end of the day, people want to get better, right? You don't want people to be here for seven months rehabbing. You know, you we want them out the door as fast as we can in yeah. terms of getting them better. Yeah. And that's how you're going to develop more people coming in and people and patients are what your business is. But culturally, I've tried really hard, again, as a new grad, again, as being involved in the university on the business development side, to not make business a scary thing, to not make business a bit of a bad word within the clinical community, yeah. and to develop everyone <clears throat> here has their own little business in terms of you are your own little business, but that doesn't mean you don't look at the support, the culture of the overall environment to continue to grow who you are as an individual. That's where you go back to that mission statement, and yeah. anybody that I hire or have the conversation about working here, they might not buy into that mission statement, and that's okay, but if you don't culturally, it's not going to work for either one of us. It might not be a fit. Yeah. So we just nip that right from the beginning. Yeah. And I also think a very key part of the culture is to know each other outside of, of the physio world as well. And to use each other as support, as mentorship. I mean, we have physios that have been practicing for 20 years for three months that are working here, you know. So use yeah. each other because the new grads have a lot to bring as well in terms of learning the new sides of things. Yeah. But we try to have, you know every couple months gatherings outside of the clinic where we can be people where we can learn. We often talk about physio anyway, but to create that team and a friendship between all of us. And that's part of the culture here too, because it means so much to me when patients leave this place and they say, wow, you guys are like a family here. Yeah. And that resonates with me. And that's what I'm trying to do here. Yeah. Um, Cause you can sense that in a clinic when it runs yes. like that. Right. And people like it and people want to work here. Well, two things you said jump out at me right away. One that your culture is based on making strong clinical performance for sure. And two, that there's other aspects of the profession that you can learn by working at Alpha, Mm -hmm. which is the business side. You can possibly be part owner if Mm -hmm. there's a pathway for Mm -hmm. that, or you can stay just strong clinically and that's okay, Yes. right? And your mission statement's that bridge between the two, the clinical and other aspects that you can learn. And you are facilitating that with your team. That builds a very strong culture. And when you want to make change, then it's not just, oh, a business owner asking me to do something for the yeah. business. You've actually set the foundation where you can have a discussion about implementing some change in the business. Yes. The second thing that really jumped out at me is that time spent outside of the clinic getting to know each other. But more importantly, you've recognized that you have therapists at different levels of their career. And whether you're a young therapist or you're a more seasoned therapist, we can share information and knowledge together and that will build a stronger team. Yes. So you're facilitating that in the clinic as the owner, that is amazing. Cause you don't see a lot of that to be just to be straight with you because there's different like, hey, I'm a seasoned yeah. therapist, I'm young. And you're again, the facilitator for that. You can make a really strong clinical team. And again, it allows you to implement change a lot 
quicker. But ultimately, it sounds like everything you're doing, you're talking about the impact on the patient yeah. and their outcomes. And so, that is the bottom line. At yeah. the end of the day, that's all I care about. Yeah. You have to stay true to that. I think if you lose sight of that, you mm. need to back off what you're doing. Yeah. Because we're physiotherapists. We are trying to help people or advocate for them if they need something different. That's our role. And yeah. the minute I lose that as the core value system, I need to get out of this business. Yeah. And I'm a big believer that in, from simple rules can come a lot of complexity. Yes. Okay. Yes. So if your simple rule, the way I've helped owners and worked with them in my own career even, is that you build patient engagement. So that might be doing something you're doing online or some community reach outreach that you've done. And then someone's going to contact your business. And from when they contact your business, they're still engaged. Okay. Yes. They have to have a great phone experience or experience online. And then they move into assessment. Say you book them for the assessment. Their engagement at this point has to take that leap into commitment. Mm -hmm. And the therapist is the one, and it's a very difficult thing to do, within 50, 60 minutes, diagnose someone clinically, have them look at you at the export, like you, have confidence in you, and then getting them to actually commit to their course of care, make that jump from engagement to commitment. Yes. And then maintaining that commitment throughout the course of care, which is difficult to do as well, yeah. And then from engagement turning into commitment, commitment will turn into outcomes. And I, I always believe that. I think you're doing, you have your business in the exact same way. Yes. Right? And every message you give to a patient or a partner or a clinician working your business is eventually everything bubbles down to outcomes. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And sometimes you need to ground yourself in that because you can get lost in a lot of the other stuff. Yeah. Like I said, you got to check back because if you're not getting that outcome, What's the point of this? Can we dive into a little bit more about something you just mentioned about people fit? And I see this a lot and this, we can frame it with a recruitment. Yeah. Okay. So in terms of recruitment, is there a methodology that you go through to make someone fits not only for the role, but fits your mission statement? In terms of hiring? Yeah. Again, something that I've been more aware of recently as we've expanded. Okay. To be honest, my involvement with students is where the recruitment starts. Gotcha. I've been lucky enough to mentor and be an instructor for students from universities across Canada. And that has allowed me to, I can say handpick a little bit, some people that I think would be a good fit here. Yeah. That being said, it's not that I only hire new grads. Yep. I don't at all. But a lot of it is a word of mouth recruitment strategy. I actually don't use some of the bigger Indeed or um, Monster or the bigger recruiting databases yeah. Yeah. for physios or for massage therapists or for other professions that I'm bringing in here. Yeah. A lot of it is word of mouth through my colleagues, through patients, through peers that, again, starts a conversation. I get to know somebody and then we move forward. So okay. I don't know if that's a recruitment strategy exactly and it might be a little bit off the cuff and a little bit different. It's definitely a recruitment strategy. But yeah. I have not actually had a lot of success with the people I've interviewed or hired that have come from just a posting online. Yeah. To be perfectly honest with you, I'm not saying that there isn't success in the, in the, those dynamics, yeah. but I find the student dynamic, the teaching, the mentoring leads to a recruitment strategy to get people in yeah. as well as word of mouth. And we do have physios that work here that have been in the physio world for a long time and they have a lot of you know, people looking to move out of public and come private or people that want to only work part-time or, you know, so through those conversations, that's actually been how I've grown this current team at Alpha. I actually think that's the best recruitment strategy. It might have happened organically yeah, for you. Yeah, it happened organically. I think it's more organically for you. <laughs> yeah. But when I speak to owners about recruitment strategy, I think you have to have multiple hooks. Some of that is like the online platforms mm -hmm. that are available to you, just yeah. easy to do that stuff. But a true recruitment strategy that it, and or funnel that's very strong is that you offer more at your clinic than just a place to work, yeah. right? And that culture, that mentorship framework that you put in place, the thought that you are actually meeting with people and saying, what do you want to do outside the profession? Yes. You can do that here. You have a voice here. Yes. That will attract people to your business through your current clinicians, through patients, and just you being a thought leader, right, in the space, mm -hmm. right? And there's nothing wrong with finding people that fit your business that you come in interaction with. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll guess, but I'm sure there's a lot of people that came that you got to know that you said, hey, you'd be a great fit at this clinic down the street or this clinic yeah. in somewhere else in Ontario or across the country yeah. um, because it just sounds like you're trying to find fit yeah. for people in the right space 
that matches their personal, whether they're moving or they're moving back home or exactly. uh, things like that, right? Yes, exactly. So I always believe being a thought leader and providing more than just negotiating with someone on fee-for-service is the best yes. recruitment strategy. And it's odd because I will talk to owners that say, hey, this therapist wants more on the fee-for-service. I said, okay, what have you done previous to that to like develop this person clinically and business? And it's usually very little. And I said, well, the only thing you have to talk to them about is fee-for-service percentage because there has been nothing else done. Yeah. And what I actually will recommend in a business is that every clinician fall into one of three streams when you're developing them. So you're, when you talk to them like you're doing in your regular meetings with them, what's your ambition? Is it only to do clinical stuff? Okay, we're going to make you the best clinical. You want to learn concussion? You can learn concussion yeah. pelvic health. Yeah. Get to know them or where they want to go. Yeah. That's stream one. Stream two would be like a clinician slash business role. Yeah. So you're learning a little bit about the business, but you're still treating. And we, we're developing in that way too, but you're doing a little bit of marketing or social media or getting to know it. Yeah. And then that's stream two. And stream three is like straight up, you're a sous chef. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you have ambitions to be an owner. And when the time's right, and there's a framework for all these things, when the time's right, we'll do a 50-50 split and build a business around you. Yeah. And I feel like that gives people a lot of clarity. Yes. And if you've documented and structured the path on how they get there, then you have a very strong culture where people are attracted to your business because they're getting more than like a fee-for-service percentage. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I agree. And yeah. when you when you broke it into those kind of three silos, I think about the people we have working here, and I could put everyone into one of those silos. Exactly. Again, I wasn't aware of that until you brought it up, yeah. but, but you're right. And that, again, it just it creates a communication line and it creates expectations and and for me, for them, and for that team dynamic. Yeah, Charlotte, that took me 10 years to figure <laughs> out, okay? <laughs> so it's not something that just came to me because you need the org structure, you need the roles, you yeah. need the metrics, you have to become a thought leader and be seen in your community. People will naturally come to you. And then it's kind of like, hey, can I stream, put these people in streams yeah. based on their clinical background, their ambitions, their personality, and if they fit in one of those three streams, they'll fit here. Yes. So again, more organizational structure dictates function. Yes. And you know, it's so refreshing to meet a young girl mm -hmm. clinic owner. I know you've been in this game four or five years, so I wouldn't yeah. say young, yeah. Yeah. but um, I can almost be on the same page as you because a lot of my losses have been my biggest learnings. Yeah. And I'm just so glad to have met you. And oh, I'm sure there's you. a lot more we could have talked yeah. about and hopefully we'll do another session. But I think we covered a lot of topics. Good. And like, you know, I, I learned a couple of things myself, which I is great that I'm going to take back. <laughs> <laughs> thank okay, you. Thank you very much. Thank you. thank you. Thank you for listening to Functional First Podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give us a rating on the iTunes store. And for more great business content for rehab professionals, visit cpaprivatepractice.ca.